Every year, the International Blueberry Organization does extensive research on the state of the global blueberry industry. They share those insights in an annual report. So if we keep trends going like they are right now, then by 2025, the industry could grow by around 68%. So that would get up to 3,000 thousand metric tons. So it's 3 billion kilos. If we don't do anything, yields stay exactly the same as they are and not another hectare is planted, the industry will still grow by 27%. The reality might be somewhere between, but those are shocking numbers. Today, we sit down with two of the authors of this report to discuss takeaways from this year's report, key trends, and what this means for the future of the blueberry industry. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, in 2003, the NABC developed the first ever State of the Blueberry Industry Report, authored by then Dave Brazelton. Still going strong today, the annual report exists to empower the blueberry industry with improved information. It's detailed, thorough, and extremely insightful. I encourage everyone to grab a copy if you haven't already. Joining me today are the brains and talents behind this report today, Colin Fain and Matt Ogg. Colin and Matt, thank you for joining me on the Business of Blueberries. Thanks for having us, Casey. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you both here. Uh, Obviously, this is a report that many of us look forward to getting our hands on each year. But also joining on today's episode, I do want to introduce NABC USHBC Director of Business Intelligence, Joe Vargas. Joe, always great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Looking forward to talking through this uh, IBO report today. So excited to be yeah, here. It's glad to have you. It's going to be great to kind of dig in, add your perspective. Uh, certainly, we'll get into this, but let's start a little bit with some deeper dives into intros. Colin, I know you've been on the podcast with me before. Uh, we've talked a number of times in your role there at IBO, kind of you know, what you do in terms of helping bring data together for the industry. But as a refresher, give the audience a quick recap of your background and the work you do and your role there at IBO. Thank you very much. So I'm the CEO of Agronometrics. It's a market intelligence company. We not only have a technology platform, but we also look to collect the story behind the numbers. That's a lot of what Matt's doing here with us. So not only collecting the hard data, but trying to communicate to the industry what that hard data means and why it's important. So at the IBO, we've been working with them for the last couple of years, doing exactly that, not only piecing together the raw information on hectares planted and production and yields and all these other metrics that kind of help describe what's happening to the industry, 
But reaching out to the main industry players and telling the narrative behind these numbers and communicating that out to the industry. It's a great service that the IBO is putting together and making available for free to everybody in the industry. And it's something that I haven't seen any other industry come together to provide to the many players within it. Well, absolutely. And, and Matt, I know your role, you're the one that grabbed me and, and wanted to talk about the United States statistics and, and what's happening, you know, kind of in the North American market. But you're making your debut on the podcast today. So we're glad to have you. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about your work and the role you played on the IBO report. Absolutely, Casey. And uh, thanks again for having me on this podcast for the first time. Colin came to me knowing the work that I'd done as a journalist at Fresh Fruit Portal. And he thought, I'd be probably apt for, for doing this role of speaking to people all around the world and really immersing myself in the blueberry industry. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a trader, I'm not a grower, I'm not an agronomist, but I'd certainly do my best to provide a, an overall picture of what's happening in the industry and try to identify up and coming trends or, or issues that people might want to have their eye on that could be within the North American industry or, or, or anywhere. And I just have to say as well, the industry representatives, whether they, they came on record or not to be mentioned in the report, were extremely receptive and helpful and generous with their time. And we, we were discussing this before the show. If I were to just start with, with one point, there, there is a risk of, of going too deep on, on any particular issue, but I can certainly emphasize that uh, we covered a lot of ground and uh, I'd encourage everyone to check out the report to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you represent, Matt, and certainly Colin's tenure here is just the connection points that not a lot of people have to be able to go through essentially the globe and kind of gather and collect and understand, you know, from kind of that analyst position. I know from Joe's desk, you know, he's got a very similar role now where he's focused on kind of the North American market, those players having those conversations, kind of understanding that data, but a great group here to kind of discuss what it is that we can extract from this latest report, you know, those things that, you know, maybe the report doesn't necessarily describe in black and white that we can kind of pull out, uh, go a little bit deeper. And then of course, yeah, if people want, you know, the actual figures and numbers and the things that we're talking about here, you know, we welcome them to check that out at internationalblueberry.org. But if I look at this right now, we'd start to dive into this full report. It's almost 200 pages. It's essentially the global state of the blueberry industry. And, you know, Colin, I know this is a tough task, right, to summarize what's in these 200 pages. But if you could give us an executive summary, what were the main points that you see stand out in this year's report? I think when we're looking at the industry, it's important to think of it as a business. Um, so you have different factors that are going to contribute to the success of any blueberry producer. So on one hand, you have everything going into production, the hectares planted, what growth is coming online, where that growth is being distributed, marketed, and commercialized. And then on the other hand, you have production costs, labor costs, a lot of issues that affect the bottom line of every producer in this industry. One of the factors that really stood out was the increased production costs. That was a really big factor that really started hitting us once the pandemic started winding down. 
And that's had a massive effect on the industry. Also, the huge volume growth that we've seen on a global scale and the pressure that's putting on, on pricing. So at the intersection of these two factors is profitability. And that's also getting squeezed within the industry. So I think it's the report is coming about at a time of massive change for the industry. And what we try to do with the narratives and the statistics that the report collects is bring this to light and try to not only tell the story of how this is affecting producers in Europe, as well as the US, as well as Latin America or Asia, but also try to give some idea of where this is heading. We have tools where we forecast where the market is going or where production is going. And I think this is all information that hopefully producers can use to help make strategic decisions for their business. Well, and, and I think maybe, Matt, from your experience interviewing folks, that's why you're getting the response you are, that there hasn't been any hesitation to share data when it's actually the collective of that data that seems to be interesting to everybody to get back from all of you. So, I mean, Matt, what was your experience in working with all these different people from around the world to pull it in? Oh, absolutely. They were responsive and, and keen to give me their opinions. And often those opinions were varied because everyone's coming at this situation from different perspectives. You have very small growers that, that might have very high fixed costs already paid out onto their farms and they, they want to stick to the varieties that they have and they want to find ways to stay profitable. And then there are other very large groups that are you know planting fresh in Morocco or, or Mexico or, or Peru, wherever it may be, and perhaps have more capital behind them and uh, are wanting to invest in, in different varieties and, and everything in between those two extremes. What stood out to me was the way that the industry is responding to all these factors that Colin just mentioned. And especially in the context of supply chain uncertainty, there were so many disruptions with shipping whereby you had growers in, in far-flung countries that uh, are shipping to Northern Hemisphere markets and they've mastered the art so much that you have to be in awe at how they were able to deliver quality product even when there were you know, 60, 70 day voyages or, or perhaps longer depending on, on the, the country and the scenario and just the sort of the refinement in their operations and post-harvest selections. And even for some of those growers, they, they ended up uh, losing money uh, based on, on shipping problems. My hope for those uh, exporters is that this year we will start to feel some of that increased supply of, of shipping services and containers. I, I understand that companies such as Maersk have really done a lot of manufacturing of shipping and that should be coming on. That said, with the higher um, oil prices, some shipping lines are slowing down in order to stay profitable and not use as much petrol. So. So there, there are just so many trends. Um, another thing that I think is, is fascinating and, and might be uh, worthwhile, uh, particularly for your um, listeners in North America, is the fact that what's happening in global markets can have a great impact in North America by virtue of having more room to divert volumes. 
So, you know, where are the pockets of growth? Where are the opportunities? We've seen what's happened in, in China and the opportunities and challenges there. There's been land reform issues in China, which have limited the ability to have new plantings there. So that sort of next frontier has come up with a bit of a, a speed bump, you could say. And growers are looking at other places now, like, like India. They're extending beyond South Africa into other parts of Southern Africa, such as Zimbabwe. And you know, I could I could talk about this all day, but ultimately there are pockets of opportunity and demand growth in in the Mediterranean, such as Italy, Spain. You know, even Poland has become a major market for blueberries. So, I guess in a nutshell, this report is looking at the the commercial realities faced by growers and how they're responding, but it's also looking at, at where the opportunities lie and, and what people should have their eye on everywhere. Matt, you brought up a couple of points there. And something as I was going through the IBO report, you know, some questions that I started to have and, and transportation obviously is a huge topic. You know, even when you're talking to your wife, hey, do you really need to drive down to the store to go pick up just a glass of milk or whatever? But for me, you know, for our U.S. listeners, last year, 2021, within our, our stat book, you know, that we're looking at, we had 762 million pounds of fruit that was consumed here domestically imported whether that be through Peru, Chile, Mexico, fresh or frozen. And then when you look at our export numbers, they're about 83 million. So a country with a net uh, 700, a little under 700 million pounds of product, how would you, for those that want to start to understand the export problem in the midst of a fuel issue or, or transportation issue, what are you hearing out there from different folks trying to set up those export programs? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things we can we can say about that. I think bringing into context the size of the U.S. market is important. So the U.S. market imports one third of every single blueberry that's exported, which is a huge volume. So whatever's produced all over the world and that moves between countries, even what moves from Poland to Germany, is included in that statistic. So one third of that volume all goes to the U.S. market. So the effect of logistics in the movement of that quantity of fruit is huge. I think that in the 2021 report, the impact of logistical issues, especially coming from South America, from Chile and from Peru, was much more pronounced than what we heard from producers this season. I mean, hopefully that's being fixed up. I think a lot of what affected us in, in the 2021 report was kind of like a, a shock after COVID. It's a bit of a bullwhip effect. It was, there was nothing moving, there was nothing moving, and there was everything moving. They, I mean, ships were taken offline. The infrastructure was really kind of put on standby as global logistics slowed down. And then when everything picked up again, it was just a mass flood and a bottleneck that really affected perishables in particular because they're perishable, because it matters if a container is on the water for five weeks or six weeks and even seven weeks. So hopefully going forward, that's something that will be eased. I think as a reaction to that, you start to put more value in your producers that don't have the long supply chains. So Mexico came out well from that. Chile and Peru were more affected, definitely. Well, I want to spend a little time kind of digging into 
I think still some of that summary perspective that you have here in the new report that talks about kind of the transition we're seeing both in production, acres planted. And maybe you guys could, uh, when we come back from the break, talk a little bit more about how that data comes in. Where, where does that data come from? You know, how is it collected? Uh, but first, I want to take a quick break here for our crop report. As many of you know, Peru has passed the peak of their season and we're seeing more and more activity from Mexico and Chile. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Luis Vegas in Peru and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on December 7th, 2022. Good morning. This is Luis with a crop report from Peru until the end of week 48, which is the week ending on Sunday, December 4th. So up until week 48 of this season, Peru has shipped a total of 526 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide. From this overall volume, 52% has been shipped to the US, 31% to Europe, 14% to China, 2% to other destinations. Also, from the total volume shipped, 12% have been of organic blueberries. What happened during week 48? Well, a total of 13.5 million pounds were shipped. 57% of this volume was sent to the US with approximately 7.7 .7 million pounds, which are expected to arrive at the US market during the last two weeks of December. 33% of the volume shipped during week 48 has been sent to Europe, 8% to China, and 2% to other destinations, including Canada, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Hong Kong, India, Israel, Panama, Thailand, and Taiwan. So that's the report for this week. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Here Mario with the Mexican Blueberry Report for week 48 from November 27th to December 3rd. During this week, Mexico exported near than 2 million pounds. From this volume, 1,896,000 pounds was exported to the United States and another 70,000 pounds was exported to other destinations like Asia and Europe. And from this volume, 332 pounds was organic blueberries. It means around 70% of the total production. This week, the volume growed 3% respecting last week. And in France, Mexico exported 37,440 pounds. This means three times the volume of the previous week, and we're representing only 1% of the total US importations from frozen blueberries for week 48. There are temperatures registered around the 90 and 38 Fahrenheit degrees, but there are no affectations reported. That's all in my report. Thank you very much. Well, thanks so much to our busy colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insight Center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry, including USDA shipping price movement, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales reports, and much, much more. Make sure you check that out at ushbc.org forward slash data. All right, Colin, Matt, you know, I think we want to talk a little bit here, if we could, about what you're seeing in kind of the trends of both production and that supply, as you guys have in this report, just starting with production globally. I, I think, you know, if you look at the report, there's a point at which it appears China eclipses the United States in 2018 as to acres planted. 
talk a little bit about what we know there for China. Where does that information come from? You know, they're at this point far exceeding the United States and acres planted. Talk to us a little bit about that top 10 as you see it and the changes that are taking place over those years. I think Chinese data is something that we wrestle with every year. And at some point, there's going to be a conversation that we have, at least Matt, me, and Quartz. Quartz, the editor of the, of the IBO report. And he's really the one that signs off on that the content that we're putting together makes sense for the industry. Um, the challenge with China comes, comes from several places. On one hand, they have a really large high bush planting, but it's not necessarily high bush plants that compete with clamshells that we buy for fresh blueberries at the grocery stores. A lot of their production goes to make a liquor so it's processed and it's not even frozen processed. Like it doesn't compete with consumption, but a lot of it's going to make a liquor, which people that have had the pleasure of tasting it said it was, well, maybe not so pleasurable, I suppose. So that's kind of a bit throwing a wrench into the statistics. I and mean, you're trying to like look at what is a market? Um, what is a product? Yes, it's blueberries. Yes, it's high bush. Yes, it's being consumed by human beings. But um, doesn't necessarily compete with um, fruit that's imported into the country from the U.S., from Chile, from Peru. And um, in most cases, the answer to that is no. So that's a good chunk of the production. I mean, possibly uh, close to half of the production might fall into that category. Half of the Chinese production is produced for blueberry alcohol? I have to look at the statistics. Again, there's there's a lot of numbers, but I believe it goes... I don't know if you remember better than I do, Matt, but I believe it's around there. <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure based on province, but I'm just looking at the table now. And the province of Guizhou, which is by far the leading province, that certainly falls into that processing category. That represents almost a quarter, just that province alone. When you're looking at the fresh blueberry industry in China, where a lot of the growth has happened is in the, the, the southwestern, I believe I'm getting my geography right, province of Yunnan. And that's where you're seeing a lot of these uh, global partnerships coming in and in, in some cases uh, collaborating with Chinese companies to grow blueberries that are increasingly becoming of a, of a premium standard and achieving phenomenal prices at retail in, in the large cities and, and increasingly even in second and third tier Chinese cities. But like I, I mentioned earlier, there have been some challenges because of food security and so on. The party wants to ensure that there's enough rice and, and staples. So there are lands that before could easily be converted into uh, blueberry acres. That's not happening as easily anymore. Well, it's remarkable to just to see in this report just how large China represents in both the production. And then we look at the, well, I should say the production by country even. It's still you know much larger than the United States. As these things shift and we're looking at the histories to start to predict the future, what else are we seeing in here that really speaks to the future? Like, you know, China seems to dominate when it comes to hectares planted, production. Somewhere we fall off, I think maybe that's what you guys are talking about is, is when you look at where 
the U.S. doesn't even show up on the top 10 of high bush yield by country. I don't know if there's something you want to explain there, but but I think that's part of that conversation. It just doesn't make the top 10. But as you look at that, you know, executive dashboard of what countries are doing what things, what are we seeing in the data today that's going to talk about what you're anticipating for us to see going forward from here? I think there's several points. On one hand, for the U.S. not making the top 10 in, in yields, and it's important to keep in mind, for example, the scale of the U.S. industry. It is massive. I mean, yeah, it's the second largest producer in, in the world, even by the statistics that we've gathered, which admittedly for China is the best information we have access to. It's not necessarily 100% true per se. We believe it might be a, even a bit overestimated, but it is the best that we currently have access to. When you look at the U.S. where we do have much better information, it is a massive producer. And for consumption of blueberries, it is far and away the largest producer. It is also the home of, of blueberries. So there's a lot of legacy production. There's a lot of legacy plantings that were pretty much growing on their home turf to sell on their home turf. The barriers to entry were really low, especially compared to Chile or Peru, where everything has to travel for four weeks. Like we spoke about at the beginning, like this is a business. You have input costs and you have sales price. As volumes come in and put pressure on the sales price, that's going to put a squeeze on profitability. And then as input costs increase, that's also going to put a squeeze on profitability. And I think a lot of U.S. producers haven't had to deal with the pressures that overseas producers have had, especially targeting the U.S. market. And I think the industry is maturing. You're starting to see that. And you're starting to see people kind of reckoning with this new reality, realizing that you need to invest, that you need to have efficient production to be able to be profitable. And I think the Western United States is a good example of that. That's where most of the investment has been going. And that's where, where the business continues to thrive. Were you hearing, Matt, maybe in some of your conversations, and then Colin, you could talk more specifically about the data backing up what Matt's hearing, but you know where there is caution going forward in the plantings. Uh, I know when we talked to Luis in Peru, you know there were some political dynamics on the ground there that were kind of almost pausing future plantings until things were resolved there. But what was your sense of you know the enthusiasm for increasing production going in the ground from the people you talked to? I would say it depends on the country, and I wouldn't want to give one overall summary. I, I think an important caveat to that as well is that even if there was immense caution from this moment in time, there are still so many hectares that have not reached their full potential. So even if that we were to establish that trend, we're going to see a lot of growth going into the future, and I think Colin would have more data on that. But uh, in terms of, um, you know, enthusiasm around plantings, in many cases, it is perhaps a slower rate of growth in plantings. I'm also speaking to, you know, interviews that happened several months ago. So I can't talk about what's going on now. I, I read that impeachment had started for Castillo in Peru. So I, I'm not exactly sure what the scenario is at this moment. 
So it's easy to pick on Peru because they've been growing the fastest and they are the world's largest exporter. So, um, so they have a big impact on the industry. But I remember when Castillo was elected, so not in the previous report, but in the one before that, uh, we did a special section on Peru. That's who hosted the IBO summit. And part of this special section, we looked at, all right, what are Peruvian producers most concerned about? And a lot of them raise the alarm around political instability. And between us, there was this kind of expectation that, you know, because of political instability, that might slow down plantings, which was interesting to see in this year's report. They didn't slow down at all. There's still hectares going down into the ground. And I think they had a good year that year. And the economics and the dream of what the blueberry business could mean for producers in Peru kind of took over. So it's the political instability and the political situation, especially with the impeachment, may have an effect. But I think what we're seeing in pricing right now for Peru, where the spot market at the height of Peru's season dropped below the spot market at the height of the U.S. season, that that is a big impact. Um, that's something we've never seen, ever. Uh, this is this is a first in blueberry history. So say that again. What what are we seeing? The spot price for the U.S. market at the height of uh, Peru season. So this is like week forty-seven around there. Was lower than the spot price at the height of the U.S. season. So when the when the price is usually the lowest. So that yeah, and the price is usually the lowest at the height of the U.S. season. And again, U.S. producers usually deal with less costs, and they're playing in their backyard. For an industry that ships their fruit, that has to deal with increased logistical costs, and a lot of the times sells on consignment, they're not going to find out that they've lost money for a couple weeks still. So when those bills come to be collected, um, that might be. That might be a rude awakening. I think that's what people have the reservations about export. Uh, without having a developed export program, you risk that possibility that you might not get anything back. And you've got costs, a lot of costs to, to get those overseas. Absolutely. No, I mean, and it, like those economics, those numbers and profitability at the end of the day is what's going to impact um, whether there is growth. As Matt said, like there's growth in the pipeline that's already there. So in the report, we did an analysis looking at how many hectares are in production and how many aren't. So 21% of every hectare planted right now is not in production. And that'll take between one and four years to come online. Another, another part of this analysis was we put together a forecast and looked at what production might look like up till 2025. So if we keep trends going like they are right now, and this is based on growth in hectares and growth in yields, then by 2025, the industry could grow by around 68%. So that would get up to 3,000 metric tons. So it's 3 billion kilos. If we don't do anything, yields stay exactly the same as they are, and not another hectare is planted, the industry will still grow by 27%. Like, no matter what, 
that's the minimum that the industry can grow before 2025. The reality might be somewhere between, but those are shocking numbers. Well, I think that might be a a good way to wrap up this discussion today because I, I do see the need for that expanded consumption in other places around the world. And I think that roadmap that you're describing is something that, you know, we kind of reference here internally as the playbook, the U.S. market playbook that uh, we're willing to share in order to try and drive those market opportunities elsewhere. And I think even the collaboration amongst production regions, just looking at this, what I really like about the IBO report is it is the global perspective. But, you know, before I let you guys go, is there anything else that you'd like to add about the report itself? You know, going to you first, Matt, anything that we haven't talked about that surprised you or you'd like to add before we go? A lot of the things I would have to say are are very common discussions there in in the North American industry anyway, I think. So really, uh, there's probably a lot that we've left out today. So I'd encourage everyone listening to download the report. It is free and we put a lot of work into it and had the input of people all over the world. So you'll definitely learn something no matter what region it pertains to or what trend it, it relates to. Absolutely. Yeah. And that would be at internationalblueberry.org. And I know there's a massive pop-up that shows up if you go there. So it's, you can't miss it. But you know, again, we, we didn't cover everything that's in there. It would be impossible to do that in this show, but something that people can go and download. Colin, for you, anything that, you know, parting words, things to think about, you know, obviously, you know, we'll plan to have you back on the show in the future for more commentary on the industry. But uh, for now, anything about the report you'd like to leave us with? The growth of this sector isn't just coming from hectares. About 60% of the growth in volume, we can attribute to growth in hectares. The other 40% are from increases in yields across the globe. This is an industry that's reinventing itself. And I feel honored and, and really proud that I get to be a part of this industry and that I get to help tell the story. And like Matt said, please go and take a look at our work. It's an incredible resource and it's free. And we'd be more than happy to get any commentary that we have from any of the readers out there. See if we can make this better next year again. Yeah, well, it's great work what you guys did to put this all together for everybody's consumption to kind of just create that indexing of sorts so that there's a reference point that everybody can kind of point to and be speaking about. Joe and I know how difficult it can be to pull all of this type of data together. We're working on that right now. And so I really appreciate you guys walking us through the back end, if you will, of what you've been working on and producing this year's State of the Industry Report from IBO. And look forward to the next one and certainly appreciate you guys' time today here today. So thank you for both being on the show again. Well, Joe, that was a great conversation. As I know you know, uh, data increasingly becoming a big part of what we do at NABC and USHBC for the industry. And, and to be able to sit down with these two gentlemen and kind of pull out some of these key takeaways from the global uh, state of the industry report from IBO. So I just thought, well, let's start with you. I mean, what were your key takeaways from our conversation today? Yeah, Casey, you know, I, I think uh, definitely data, I mean, this is a perfect example of the role that that's playing. You know, we were looking and talking about yields um, and how that's changing based off of new technology, uh, new varietals, and a number of things. Also, you know, growth, where is the future going with these emerging, emerging markets um, and the influence that they'll have on consumer demand? So all those pieces, I think, were, you know, a big takeaway, but we're not going to know 
or understand or be able to follow any of those without data. So that's, you know, really what I, I think we've got a, our stat book coming out. So there's going to be some more data, um, even more information coming into there to kind of wrap up the year and, and it kind of be able to compare to, you know, what we're seeing in the IBO report. And I think it's just such a big driver of how important this, this new data program, uh, Very Smart Insights is to the industry and the contribution of the industry to that data program is going to be critical. Yeah. Well, and I think that was my key takeaway, just talking to Matt and Colin, just the knowing that they spent as much time as they did to pull together what is just this annual report. And as you know, we can't wait a year to understand some of these numbers. Uh, you know, I think these annual reports play a critical role in kind of indexing and contextualizing a year's uh, of production, a year and years of production. But as you know, and this is the work you're focused on, is we need this in as real time as possible uh, to be able to look at inventory, look at shipment data, and look at forecasting. Again, just so critical in order to help effectuate the kind of change and profitability opportunities that you know we're going to need with this supply that we're seeing and the kinds of growth that we're expecting from these maturing plants and the yield increases that are going to come from these new varieties. It's just going to be increasingly important that there's a systematic way of collecting this information and then providing it back to the industry so people can know what's really going on. So it's just a, it's a global market right now and we need this data to help uh, our industry make better decisions and informed decisions. So another great conversation and I appreciate you being on the show with me this week, Joe. Thanks, Casey. Well, that's it for episode 121. I'm encouraging everyone to download their own free copy of this report from IBO. If you haven't reviewed it yet, I'll leave a link in the show notes where you can access it directly. But thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Oh, 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 o